Welcome everyone to Plugged and Unplanned. It's Tony Nash, the CEO of Booktopia, back with you again. And of course, I have an author as a guest, a two-time author, and her name is Tina Tower. Her book is Million Dollar Micro Business, How to Turn Your Expertise into a Digital Online Course. Now, this has got to be cheese suitable for a million people. And welcome (laughs) to the show. Thanks, Tony. All morning I've been telling myself, like, be cool, be cool. Um, but I'm not going to be because I'm super excited. Yeah, good <laughs> thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. And and when I look at the back of your book, it says you're a serial entrepreneur. You're much, you've built and sold businesses. And uh, I've already only built one business. Well, I've actually, I've built a few businesses, but two that were sold and, uh, well, one that was sold and one that's listed on the ASX. So, um, so you haven't uh, done too poorly out of it. <laughs> no, no, got it right eventually, um, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners and 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 soon to be readers are, are going to um, probably re- that resonates with them. So just um, tell us your first book, and I have that here as well. Um, let me just tell everyone what that is: One Life: How to Have the Life of Your Dreams. So you've you published that in in 2019 yeah. before COVID. So that was uh, quite, um, would have been quite mon- monumental in terms of um, just before and during yeah. COVID and probably people are recalibrating what they want to do in their lives. So that was probably fairly timely, I would only imagine. Mm. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, that was self-published. So I self-published my first one and this one is through a publisher. So a bit of a different sort of experience. Um, but the first book, One Life, was more my entrepreneurial journey and story. This one's more of the the guidebook. Mm. It's a bit different. Yeah. And I've got it, I've got a copy in my hand. So I can assure you, everyone that's listening, it is it is a manual. It is it is a how-to from from front to to finish um, on on how to kind of take your expertise and and turn that into a um, an income generating business, which I, I can only assume that that may help people then to um, branch out. They may be working for somebody, and they've just they decided to do this on the side and create create an online business, which then ultimately could give them the personal freedom to leave work and and not have to report to anyone else again. Is that the is that the common theme, or has it come from a multitude of of um... yeah, lots of different areas. I get either a lot of people that have come from a corporate background who have a lot of expertise and knowledge and kind of wake up one day and go, really, this is life. Like I did everything right. I got married. I had kids. I studied hard and, and, you know, life isn't all it turned out to be um, and want to do something for themselves and have a bit more freedom and flexibility. So there's kind of that group. And then most people though are really experienced business owners that have ran service-based businesses for a long time and now want to stop kind of the only way to grow is to work more or work harder. So they're starting to package that IP into a product so that they can sell it on the side as well. Mm. So, so when you um, had to sit down and write this, did it, did it really, did the pages just kind of <clears throat> fall away to, <clears throat> sorry, did they, did they kind of just simply, you know, lie down for you because you do this so naturally and, and have been doing it for so long or was it, was it a, a monster project to try and distill <laughs> down and get this into shape 
How did the, how did you go about kind of? Yeah, I actually that? found writing this one. The first one I wrote really quite quite easily. That flowed out um, because there's a story, so it was much easier to write. I found this one, um, yeah, a monster project, as you as you put it, um, because I had everything, but what was hard was to take take everything that I knew and put it into a linear fashion that would make sense for someone that was just starting out and was brand new to this world. So I really wanted it to be practical um, and for anyone to be able to pick it up and know by the end exactly what to do and if it's going to be right for them and, and not to give people a kind of bum steer. It's not passive income. It's not like something you build and they will come. And so I, I wanted it to be real and helpful. And so, yeah, it was hard to kind of break it down and break it down and break it down again, but then also not make it boring because it's a guidebook but I wanted it to have that injection of, of still story and entertainment and inspiration in there as well. So, so you worked with a publisher this time, just for the listeners and for me, can you, can you tell me, I mean, obviously writing your life story um, is easier because you know you and, and yeah. you just got to say it as it is. And some parts you'll leave out and um, other parts you'll put in and you didn't realize how monumental they were when you started writing. But this time around working with the publisher, was it, was it um, as expected? Was it very different? Were you like astonished about how many times you had to go back and do a rewrite and, and oh my God, no, this area really doesn't work. And, but I wanted to leave that in. I thought that was important. Now I get rid of that. How, how did that all work out for you? Yeah. The editing part wasn't too bad, actually. I, um, I'm a primary teacher by trade. Um, and so I, I think I could, I could write okay so the editing part what I did love was the editor that had mine um he was a really witty guy like in his late 50s and so he changed a couple of lines so I was like oh he made me sound funny which I which I quite enjoyed and appreciated <laughs> uh, but oh my gosh working with a publisher is so different to self-publishing obviously um I've been a business owner for 17 years so I'm used to micromanaging and I'm a bit of a control freak with all things um so letting that go has been difficult the time it has taken for everything has been difficult um yeah let, letting go is probably the the hardest part but what I learned with the first book was it didn't it didn't matter how much I hustled with it because it was self-published, not published, that it just lacked the credibility. So I couldn't get the distribution that I wanted for it. So the the sole reason I went with a publisher this time was for distribution. Mm. That's an important lesson for anyone who's thinking of writing a book, which of course, um, a lot of people who are expertise have an expertise in a particular in a particular subject matter quite often end up writing a book as well as part of their calling card or what they um, you know, what gives them the credential to win a project or win some consulting work or, or be, do some keynote speaking, whatever it may be. So I'm, I'm very interested to hear that because we talk to authors a lot about that, that difference between self-publishing and publishing. Um, I know uh, self-published authors that have done unbelievably well and, and they just have the right book for the right, yeah, you know, for that right market and, and off they go. So it's, it is, it is a, a voyage of discovery, I think, for authors who, who go along that path. Um, I, I know um, um, published authors as well, I think this is important, that they, are, uh, they don't just simply give it over to a, a publisher to get the distribution. They are calling bookshops. They are dropping into bookshops. Yes. They are taking their book in and just 
and introducing themselves and, and they are nonstop marketing. And for any author that thinks, well, I'm going to write the book and, oh, I got published and maybe I got an advance, maybe I didn't. Um, and then it's all going to kind of happen by magic. Those days are done. Um, yeah. If they ever existed, uh, it, you've got to be, you've got to be out there uh, talking to all bookshops and, yeah. and um, that's super, super important. So I guess you're, you're up for that. Yeah, well, for me, it was just really, I, I couldn't get in the door of a lot of places with self-published because there's, there's obviously so many people that self-publish that it's really hard to stand out. So like the airports, I could not get into the airports at all. Um, I was in a couple of dimmicks, but not all of them. Whereas now with this one, because it's through a publisher, it gives that credibility. I'm going in to do a signing at George Street and the dimmicks. So the big one there, I wouldn't be here talking to you, I don't think if I had the publisher, because you would have been like yeah another self-published author like dime a dozen we'll just just flick over that so it it does give that level of credibility but but by no means have they like done any marketing that's all that's all on me mm. <laughs> yeah so yeah you do have to I mean our campaign behind it but then that's been hard too because we we planned massive campaigns for launch but we haven't had people take on enough of the books everywhere sold out after like from lunchtime on the day of the re release which was really frustrating because then no one could get it <laughs> so that's been hard yeah um, uh, so John Wiley's your publisher yeah. and that's really incumbent upon them to make sure that everyone gets it uh, gets the right volumes you you can shout and scream and and do what you want but um, um, they they do need to make sure that they they uh, get get the message through strongly so uh, and sometimes um people get surprised and they go i can't believe that i i met um a publisher in london um harvard university press and they published a french book um um into english co uh, called um capitalism i think if i recall and they they said when they first published it they thought oh we'll do thirty thousand copies and when I saw them two years ago, they had sold 300,000 copies. Wow. Even someone who's as experienced as them, and John Wiley is a very experienced publisher, yeah. uh, quite often they get taken by surprise. And and let's hope this is your book, 500,000 copies sold at one point. Well, my goal, is, I had really small goals, Tony. I just, I just want it to be like the next four-hour work week. <laughs> so okay. really small. So 3 million copies sold. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. So, so let's let's take a look at the book because um, as people know when I do these, I don't really want to go into the book so they can listen to the podcast and and you're done. And there's, I don't think that's even possible this time around. I couldn't, like if I read to you the last page and I'm not giving away, you know, the end of the story here. This is every page is of the story. So don't don't think that we're going to get into that. But it is it is interesting when when I kind of look through the chapters and see how you've kind of chunked it down to to enable someone to get their head around what they've got to do to to get this idea perhaps many people have sat there thinking the very thing that you've kind of outlined here when when you think about chunking it down how it begins create that first idea you know launch launch, launch it out into the world etc these are it, there's a there's a five parts to your book and many chapters is there is there some part of the journey which is um, like you you start off and let's if i'm using a metaphor of going across the plains and there's a bit of a bit of a hill and then you hit the mountains mm -hmm. and you've got to go over the mountain range is there some part to this journey which is much harder than 
other parts or is it do you feel like you know just get that bit done and then you'll be able to go to the next bit and it's it's really as easy as just you know walking through the park how, how does how's the journey going to going to kind of evolve for someone yeah well hopefully I've been very careful to make it as linear as possible um, to do it but I do know like when you talk about hitting the mountain it's at the launching it out into the world so for so many people that I've talked to over the past few years in in packaging their IP into courses most people will come to me and go I've been sitting on this idea for years I've been thinking about this for years like I know exactly what I do but getting it out there, like what if what if I start talking about it and people will judge me or think I look silly or think, oh, they're just jumping on this online course bandwagon kind of thing. So I know most people will get through it, implement, and then get stuck at the marketing and going, oh, okay, so I make it real now. <laughs> That's where a lot of people are going to pull back or stop. But everything is there to help you get through that. And I talk about overcoming fear and, and facing that and, and focusing on like the purpose of doing it, not on you, but on the customers that you can help. Mm. There's a couple of things that come up there. One I'm going to share with you and the listeners um, in terms of launching into the world. There's a website called the Wayback Machine on archive.org. And that website takes an HTML photograph of websites and has done for um, decades, probably for 25 years. So you can go back to www.booktopia.com.au to the 7th of February, which is the third day since we were, since the, when Booktopia started. And you can see what sort of a website we had and how it looked. And I think that's so cool. Yes, I know it's amazing. And you can see it through the years as it evolves, and you can go to many websites. Um, and what I really want to um, um, impress upon, upon people is that don't try and make it perfect in the beginning. And you can see Booktopia and you go, oh my God, like if that was Booktopia in the beginning um, and where they are today, um, it's it's impossible to make that connection. It's just about sometimes getting out there. So that's the one thing I, re- I really want uh, people who are listening listening to this podcast. The second thing is that um, is that the the for having dreamt about something for so long um, and you kind of touched on it in terms of the, overcoming the fears, um, and you're worried it's always been nice to well one day i'm going to do that and and it's that's my dream is to do that but then um when you're doing it then you 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 actually have to understand you your dream is gone because you're doing it and there'll be some other dream that will replace that and and i can understand why some people like to have this one day i'm going to meet the love of my life or the prince or princess is going to show up or i'm going to win the lottery or i don't know something along those lines, but, but having that moment where you're stepping over the bridge and cutting the bridge and there's no going back, um, is an, it is part of that process. Yeah, everyone needs to understand that you are now giving it a go. Yeah, and there's a book I love, um, Bronnie wrote, uh, Five Regrets of the Dying, which is such a fabulous book. Um, but that's the biggest thing that she talks about is how many people get to their end, the end of their life and regret all of the things that they dreamt of that they never tried. And we're here for such a short time. And if you've got a dream, you should just give it a go because the worst that happens is that you fail completely and fall flat on your face, of which if you never try, you failed anyway. Yeah, well, the thing is about that is, is that you're absolutely learning. And yeah. and <clears throat> how much... Um, how much how many businesses have you, have, yeah, I'm sure you've got a number there. How many have you started and sold or started and closed? 
What? I've started nine businesses in my career. I've sold three. Three, right. And the, the other rest. six, the other six were dogs just, or, just you, like or you just faded in, faded into the air. <laughs> right. So they, so they were learning experiences, right? You learned from, you le like there's things that I've done in Booktopia that I've learned more about when it didn't work out yeah. than I have when things have worked out. Um, yeah. And they've been very costly, millions of dollars. Yeah. But um, it, but who, look at where we are today, and you got to yeah. you got to be able to take that as part of. And it could be something that you because you started it. All of a sudden, you uncovered something else which you never expected. Oh, completely. I mean, one of my I'll tell you a funny story because you'll like this one is because it has to do with books as well. Is when I sold my last company in 2016. That was my biggest um, sale that I had done to that point, and so I didn't know what I was going to do next and who I was going to be. And one night I was reading this book series to my kids, and I was like, "Oh my god, this would make the most amazing movie. This is incredible!" And so I got in contact with the author, and I bought the film rights and went over to the US and had meetings with everyone trying to become like a film producer <laughs> it did not work apparently that's a really hard thing to do yeah mm, and but I tried <laughs> and it probably still would be a good film it would be amazing so in terms of your business your businesses and the the because it's you, you, your book is called million dollar micro business yeah and booktopia was a micro business and now it's got 250 staff and we'll do 220 million in revenue mm. so um is this is this book really about um, staying micro? Like, because you're 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 a knowledge expert, and you're out there using um, a platform through your website and every everything else that you're doing to generate passive income and probably generating um, consulting work or keynote speaking. Or is that is that what this is really about? Your book. Yeah, so the idea is for micro, micro in team, not micro in revenue. So it used to be defined by revenue and team. We're trying to say now that it can be defined by team, but you now are not limited. Like in so much of traditional business to increase the revenue, you've got to increase the headcount, uh, which is not true anymore with online business. You can do so much with the software and automation. And, you know, we, we got to our first million dollars a year with, two of us, me and one other person. And there's some success stories in, in the book that I've profiled that are making 10 million a year in revenue with less than five people. So there's a lot that you can do to be able to scale it. Um, I always say it's not passive income because if you stop marketing, so much of it is marketing and personal branding. Um, and so you, you do become the product, which is the hard part. So it's never a saleable business, um, but it's extremely leveraged and extremely scalable to be able to help people with the knowledge that you have. Mm -hmm. And and when you think about uh, this particular book, um, is it suitable for anyone that is not trying to do this? Is it, is it um, like if someone had a, a, a company and they're thinking, but there's aspects of this that everyone within the organization has their own brand and therefore mm -hmm. they could be doing, um, they could be, it's applicable to, to anyone who's, who's in that kind of situation. Like, I would just want to understand, is it, is it really de designed for just uh, knowledge experts and they're looking to get um, other income or is it suitable for a kid who has no experience, but is looking to, be cheeky and try and start some online business, maybe even using this to, as a way of learning how to do that. How, how transportable is it away from 
what we've talked about thus far. Yeah, so it is it is very much geared at information products, not like e-commerce kind of seller widget kind of products. Um, but we've got the most random things, like talking about kids. There's kids that have used it to launch like how to do ollies on a skateboard and how to do drop-ins at skate parks and like so kids can watch the videos and then emulate them instead of just going onto YouTube and having to sift through the 50 gazillion videos they're getting like a linear sort of this is how you learn this process Um, we've got a florist that teaches people how to make flower arches and she's made million dollars by making teaching people how to make flower arches there's music teachers there's there's so many different industries that it works in and we've had people that have large retail companies that have actually used it as their baseline for their intranet with how to train internally their corporate staff as well so yeah it can be put into many different things but it is very much geared towards information and and if i just open the book and and is it one of those books where you can kind of go all right i'm just going to shut my eyes and I'm just going to feel a page and then you open it and you go, well, that's going to be relevant for me today. Or is it one, you said it was linear. So do you, do you really need to work your way from page one through to the end, but then once you've read it and you're applying it, that maybe you can then go back as a, as a trigger. Yeah, totally. Because it is, there is going to be different parts that people find easier than others, depending on how, they're wired. So I know for some people it's it's creating that course and getting clear on that idea is actually quite hard. And for other people, it's like, no, I know exactly what I want to do. So there's different parts that are going to be harder for different people. And that's why we put it into the main parts of the book. So there's there's the main different parts. And then each of those parts you can go back to and, and work on depending on where you need to kind of really drill down. Can I ask you then, um, Booktopia has got many people with many skills now and and um, there's certain things that I'm really weak on um, and there's other things that I'm strong. So if I wanted to keep Booktopia as small as possible and and just have a really nice uh, dividend, passive income and and just have it in control, which uh, which it is, but when you're growing as big and as fast as we are, there's aspects of it that aren't. Um, and when I look through your your parts and the chapter headings, there will be th- certain things that um, a knowledge expert will go, oh my God, you know, technology, like, uh, you know, I, I can't start my own company because I'm useless with tech or or money or, or a cash flow or um, financials and hopeless with numbers and don't ask me to do that. Is there anything around that that you've experienced talking to people and watching people who have said oh i'm really hopeless with that but they you know i'm hopeless with with numbers so therefore financial statements and and managing my cash flow etc that they've been able to resolve or master or mm-hmm. somehow go from a complete um you know i'm 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 really hopeless at it to a beginner to then become actually i'm I'm moderately okay. Mm. How does that all play out when you're when you've got those gaps in your skill yeah. set? Yeah. Well, I think um, I love how open you are. It's so cool. Um, <laughs> everyone's going to have gaps, so I, no one's good at everything. So you've got to have the open mind. I do think that if you're going into your own business, you can't afford to switch off and say, you know what, I'm just not good with numbers, so I'm not going to think about it because that's it's just 
it's never going to work. Um, so you've got to have the open mind and learn it. I mean, I did general maths in high school. I was not great at maths, but oh my gosh, do I know my way around a cash flow forecast? Because it's your money and you've got to learn to, to master that. But I think on the technology side, we've had a lady that's that's in our program at the moment who's nearly 70. So not familiar with tech at all, came in going, um, like holding her phone out going, so how do I, how do I use this, um, this social media thing that everyone's talking about? She's now doing like daily Instagram stories. She's the most refined, elegant, wonderful, gorgeous woman who has acquired so much knowledge over her life and was like, you know what? I'm not done. I want to help the next generation with everything that I've learned and just has this purpose to be able to package it all and do it. And I think even five, years ago like I hate WordPress like all the developer stuff and having to you know learn all of that it's so techy but now software is beautiful it is so user-friendly and if you've got an open mind to it and you can learn just the right button to click you can learn all of the tech and the software very very quickly and I think she's proof for that <laughs> but we've got a lot of people that would have said I'm not techie that are now running digital businesses because software is so intuitive now and with a couple of software systems. I mean, I remember you'd be the same with your websites throughout the ages. And when I sold my last business, the website we built just before we sold cost $60,000 because it had to be built on proprietary software and we had to tailor everything to it. Whereas now the software I use to run my business is 150 bucks a month and it does everything that I need it to do and it's so easy to use so my son who's 12 does a lot of our website edits like it is piece of cake and I think that makes it so much more accessible that even if I wrote this book five years ago it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked in the same way because it wasn't like anyone could pick it up and anyone could do this. Whereas now there really is no barriers. You can do it very cheaply. You can take what you know and, and put it on with very little tech knowledge, which is something that I get really excited about. I guess if there's any area within your book that someone's sitting there going, I have no idea how to do that. Surely that's an opportunity for some one of your devotees to create a little micro there'll be a course on that yeah that's right <laughs> yeah. that's right like that, that's a real no-brainer guys if there's if you can if, you, if there's a gap in the market on cash flow or using wordpress or using this piece of software that's one of the things that's come up actually in in booktopia we're very big in education mm -hmm. uh, the tertiary market and uh, we're growing in secondary as well and micro credentialing uh, which is what you're talking about is about yeah. And if you've got a certain skill uh, these days, forget about university, which of course uh, universities are also doing micro-credentialing. You can learn about cryptocurrency if that's what you want to learn about or very specific things. Um, but in the world, the idea of having a specific piece of knowledge and being able to go and do a course. I mean, how often have we all needed to put something together during COVID when we've gone to Bunnings or Ikea or somewhere and, and you've gone to some video to go now, how did they actually get that and pop that in? Uh, that's micro-credentialing, which is really what you're talking about, but but doing it in a way that um, is serving others, of course, because they're learning, but at the same time, uh, you're being remunerated for all those years of, of obsessive um, 
learning and and mastering a certain skill, which is yeah. which is amazing. Well, I mean, obviously, I love learning about business, but the last online course that I did was organic gardening. So I wanted to learn to grow all of our own food, and so this this lovely lady has created a course on what to plant, when, how to trim it. I didn't even know like when you're supposed like I grew broccoli. I didn't know you're supposed to cut it in a certain way so it grows back. I used to just pull the whole thing out. So like all of these different things that you want to know something, you can just there's a course for that. You can learn how to do it. And I like, I'm totally into neuroscience and I went back to uni to try and learn about it. And the traditional education system is so slow. You've got to listen to so much like before you get to actually learning practical things that you're wanting to learn. Whereas the online education market now is very much, I want to learn this one thing teach me in the quickest, easiest way possible. And you've got that skill. So while you don't kind of get your fancy piece of paper from a university, you've got the knowledge then, and you can get it in a really quick and easy way, because we have such low attention spans as humans now as well, that if you want to learn something, you want to get it, know exactly what you want and then move on with life. Mm. It's amazing, isn't it? It's really, I, I think, well, I'm sure universities are going to be around for a quite quite a number of centuries because of the the professions that um are attached to them but there is so much more uh, where we we do really want to master certain things yeah. how, to, how to invest in in uh, in options how to how to garden and or how to mm. how to take care of your tropical fish yeah um, you know, <laughs> whatever is out there there'll be something so so when when we um when you think about, so you're actually consulting as well. So you've got a business where you you are mentoring and coaching people on business. Is that right? Yeah. So I work with a lot of women in particular who have had traditional businesses for a decade or so who are then pivoting into online. So taking everything that they've done in their service-based businesses and packaging that into online businesses. So yeah, the mission that I'm working towards is 100 women by 2025, making a million dollars a year. Mm, very nice. Yeah. How are you going with that? We're going pretty well, pretty well. Um, because traditionally, like a lot of the examples of people doing well in business are men. So women, this is a beautiful business for women in particular because it's so flexible. You've got so much freedom. You can do like high impact, which is often a very high value um, for women in particular. And so you can, you can do that and work it around your family and actually have a beautiful, well-rounded life. Well, I'm going to ask you um, um, a question that came up a few months ago. I was at a, I was at a, a dinner um, we weren't in lockdown and I, um, I was talking to this lady and she, she was successful, very successful in business. And she goes, you know why there's more men, um, uh, more successful in business. And I said, uh, no, what do you think? And she goes, they take more risks than women. Mm. And I, I never thought about it in that way. You know, men, men are willing to lose it all more often and women are much more, um, have a much more long-term vision in terms of what that might mean to them and how that might mean to their themselves and perhaps their children or their future children or future family and so forth. So I thought, I'm curious because you work with a lot of women. Do you, do you agree with her or do you, do you think that um, that's, that's too much of an assumption? No, I do think that that's totally true. Yeah. Um, women generally care more about what people think about them. 
as well. So by risking everything, you know, the, the judgment that comes with that, women are often very concerned about that. Also people pleasers. So I find, and I, <laughs> this is strange talking to you about this, men are usually more comfortable being more selfish in their decisions in going, you know what, this business is really important to me. So I'm going to say no to a lot of these areas of my life while I'm in the build phase, because to build a successful business requires a lot of sacrifice. You've got to put a lot into it. You have to be essentially a little selfish in what you're doing to prioritize that growth um, and generally it's more acceptable for men to do that than than women to go you know what I'm risking everything I'm putting it out there I'm going to step into it I'm going to say no to everything else I'm just going to go for it that is generally more socially unacceptable for women to be able to do um, and so that was what was really important to me was to create a safe space where it's normal to have ambitious women and it's not it's not somehow a dirty word to be ambitious as as a woman because I do think that it needs to like for example the software that I use is Kajabi and and you get to these they call it hero levels at different revenue uh, points and at the million dollar point there's only 17% of women but more women operate on the software than men and you go why why is that and for a lot of women they get to kind of that comfortable level of that 250 half a million and they're like you know what life is comfortable. I'm still present with my children. I'm still present as a wife. I can do all of these different things. I've got my health. The business is going well. I won't, won't push my luck. Like I won't go big. And so I want to have more examples of women that are going big. And it doesn't mean that you need to sacrifice your whole life, which if you look at a lot of men at the top of their game, they have sacrificed a lot of their life. They've been working 12 hour days. The, the example of that is not appealing to a lot of women, they, they see that picture of success and go, nah, I don't want that life. Mm, interesting, hey? Um, but for me, there's a couple of things there. One is that um, book, Booktopia, it's a bit different because Booktopia was always going to be a website, the, the brand, the product wasn't me, which is what you're mostly doing is you're, you're converting someone's um, area of expertise in, into a revenue stream. So I can understand that they're the brand and that does make a difference. But with Booktopia, I always felt like it was separate to me. So it wasn't me. And like a parent nurtures a child and takes care of it and then sends it off to, to daycare and to school and you, you start to see it develop. Uh, and, you know, what does it need? Uh, does it need extra coaching? Does it need extra resources, uh, which would be people and so forth? So so I always, um, that that helped me um have no ceiling on the revenue so yeah. but um, you would have put in a lot of effort yeah in the beginning i always say that um booktopia was built on pepsi max because uh, <laughs> yeah. i would work on it from um, <laughs> 9 p.m to 2 a.m every night after oh. we had our so we had an internet marketing business my brother my brother brother-in-law my sister and i we had a internet marketing business and that um i would work on during the day and then i would work on booktopia at night um for the first few years so um, but there, there are sacrifices. Mm. I think the key though, for me has always been, is that if some, if someone can be employed to do that work, um, at a, at a rate that's cheaper than what I could do it for, then I employ those people, Yeah, which is counter to keeping it as a micro business. But there are a lot of things, a lot of virtual assistants and various people that can work in your business, um, and make it easier for you to help you still get to that million dollars or so forth yeah and you can do a lot now um with 
very few people. Like it used to be the amount of team, I had 120 staff in my last business. And to do that with the revenue that we had, and now what we do is just because so much is systemized and automated um, in doing that, which is just incredible. But yes, there's a lot that I can never outsource because I'm the only person that can do my podcast every week and be on the interviews and run our masterclasses and, and do that. But everything else, I read a great quote the other day on, on a course creators thing of going, you can't be both the show pony and the workhorse. And I really liked that because I was like, you know what, when like my job is is to perform, it's the it's the show pony, but then you want to get to the the level where you don't have to do anything else. Everything else after you've recorded the podcast is all over to your team and they're the ones that can repurpose all the content, maintain the website and do all your bookings and, and do everything. So you just have to show up and serve. Mm. Amazing, hey? Mm. Boy, we could keep talking for ages and ages. So um, we, we have limited time. I'm talking to Tina Tao, the author of Million Dollar Micro Business, How to Turn Your Expertise into a Digital Online Course. It doesn't get any better than that. And of course, you can buy it from Booktopia. We are out of stock today. And we've just had a learning experience about how successful Tina's book is. We cannot afford to run out of stock. No, we will stock it more. <laughs> we need to overorder. We need to, we need to be ahead of the curve. Um, and, and you can buy it in bookstores as well. It's published by John Wiley, a great business book publisher. Um, so... Tina, is there anything in terms of your book or your experience that perhaps I haven't asked or that you might, you'd think, oh, I'd like to talk about this or share this with uh, the listeners today? Um, I just think if they've, if they've listened to it and have a bit of a hankering, like have a go. Like you said right at the beginning, you've, you've got to just just have a go. There's no point in having that thought in your head. Um, the amount of people I see them, they go, I had that thought, but someone else is doing it. So I won't do it. There is enough, like the 7 billion people on the planet. If someone else is doing it, it doesn't mean you can't do it because you're so unique and your experience is so unique that someone will pick something up from you in a different way than they will from someone else. So if you've got that desire to serve and to that you're really passionate about your subject matter, get it out there. Mm. And and then um, maybe throwing over to you and asking me some questions that might um, elicit some some thinking or ideas. What what would you want to ask of me today? What is next for you now that you've got a big grown up business? What what is next for you? What are your plans? So we listed on the ASX in December of 2020. So that's now several months ago, and that went well. And um, and uh, we'll do around 220 million in revenue. So my goal is to get to 500 million in revenue in Australia and then a billion in revenue, um, including our international operations, which we haven't started as yet. So it's all about books for me. It's um, interestingly, I think this is something that's actually worth sharing. Um, a number of years ago, uh, about five, or six, five years ago, five or six years ago, we got into um, cameras um, I bought an online camera business. I, I enjoy photography and I wanted to kind of prove that we, if we can do it for one vertical, we could do it for another. So therefore invest in us and we'll show you that how good we are. I couldn't believe how much work needed to go and to get that one up and running the same amount of effort that I was putting into Booktopia. And that was going from 80 to hundred to 200 million um, and this one, which was 3 million to try and get that even to 10 million was taking the same amount of effort. And it just, 
it, it just wasn't wasn't worth it and around the same time i started to do some research around the world to work out what was it about some companies in north america and europe where amazon was already in a mature state why were they flourishing what were they doing and what i saw was they focused on one thing and did it really well which is interesting because that's kind of like what you're talking about with your book on on micro uh, micro skills and and so um we got into distributing books. So we've now become a book distributor. Publishers in Australia, around the world are appointing us as their distributor. And then in the last couple of years, we've got into publishing as well. So now we're actually a publisher. So so more into that, deeper into the vertical. So we're, we're now right up against the author and, and dealing directly with the consumer. So um, what I've learned as I've come from retailing into distribution and to publishing, how archaic the supply chain and logistics of the book industry is the printers do the printing the publishers write the books the the sheds hold the books in stock and that there's movements going on of books moving here and there with freight and and planes and trucks it's It's a waste of money it's It's, totally crazy yeah it's it's ridiculous so there's there's no one's really addressed it and that's what i'm looking to address it is so rife for a (laughs) shake-up the publishing world it blows can i ask you one more question Go and ask as okay. much as you want. Okay, good. Um, so because obviously when we went to put the book out, we chose where to funnel people to in all of our marketing. We had the choice of Booktopia or Amazon and then ultimately chose Booktopia because, well, because of you mainly. <laughs> uh, but how do you compete, like with what I said before, with people saying, you know, someone's already doing it really well, how can I compete with that? How do you compete with Amazon when you know, they do free freight and all of that sort of thing as well. How do you stay growing so beautifully? Um, so let's start with the competition part of that versus Amazon. So when I was a lot younger, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, I was an athlete. I was I was a decathlete, not very good. It's the kind of event that you go in the 10, of, 10 different uh, disciplines um, because you're not actually really good at any of them. Um, and that was me. But um, sprinting was my my best skill I, I could run the 100 meters in 11 flat which as a decathlete was pretty quick but as a, a sprinter that wasn't that great i mean good but not great um and my sprint coach would say to me if you want to slow down then look to the left and look to the right to see where everyone else is but if you want to go fast then pick a point down the end of the runway and focus on that and build peripheral vision to know where, you, where everyone else is and I kind of applied that in the same way with Booktopia. So when we started out, we were turning over 5 million, 7 million, 10 million, and there were others around 5 million as well. But I can assure you by not focusing on what the others were doing and picking a point down the runway and going, we've got to get to 20 million, got to get to 50 million, right? That's, that's what we would do. And, and we asked one question every single day for 17, over 17 years now, what do our customers want? And by asking that question, you go on a voyage of discovery to find out what are they looking for? Because we're really focused on books, um, I think that's served us in terms of Amazon. Amazon have largely moved on from books. Mm. They actually are a tech company. They would prefer you to buy the book from someone else on their marketplace uh, and ship it to the other person than they prefer to buy it from them because they actually make more money out of that because they charge 20 plus percent as the as the success fee so and they're also more interested in you buying a kindle and ebooks or audible and audiobooks um or using prime or using um um, 
Amazon Web Services. These are all the things that they make money on. In fact, now that Jeff Bezos has stepped up into the executive chairman role, they've replaced or he's replaced himself with um, Andy Jassy, who was the guy, 24-year veteran at Amazon who founded or started with, with Jeff AWS, Amazon Web Services, and has been running that. And a tech guy is now running a tech company. So Amazon has largely moved on from books. And I'll share with you a funny story. I was, I was, um, we, my wife and I were renovating our house um, around the Christmas period, around when we were um, IPOing on the ASX, and and we had a father and son builder with us. And the son was he's twenty five, very interested in business, asked me questions in the morning before I came to work about lots of things. And one day he said, you know, so who's your competitors then? And and I said, well. You know, we're turning over 200 million and, uh, you know, the next one's turning over 20 million. So we don't really have any competitors. And I, and I said, you know, well, other than Amazon. And he, he said, oh, they sell books, do they? Now, yeah. for, uh, most of us who are older, right, we, we go, he's too young to even remember that that's where they came from. Yeah. Um, so that he just sees them as a, a big global online retailer and, he doesn't have the history there, which is an interesting thing. That so most of us still think of Amazon as books because that's where they started out, but they've they've largely moved on from that. So I think for me, being Australian, uh, we have a good philanthropic program. We give back to literacy projects around Australia. We have a lot of stock. Um, it gets out fast. Not we, of my book, but you will. We will. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've had a learning experience. We didn't realize how big of a blockbuster Tina Towers' book was going to be. Tower should have, you know, we should have had towers. Of, <laughs> there was a subliminal message in there in the name. Um, but yeah. Um, so I think there's some of the things, but mostly it's around what competition is like. If you if you focus on them, mm-hmm. then you'll be obsessed with them. And and I I I really try hard to make sure that the marketing team and the books mm-hmm. merchandising teams don't don't think about that. Don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. It's never been, we've never needed to be the cheapest. As long as we're in the ballpark and we've got stock ready to go, we get it out the door quickly. um, That's the key. And and we've not worked like over the years, we've had so many people complain about, oh, you were, you know, you were so slow or you damn, or you, the, the books were damaged or something. Those things will happen, but not to beat yourself up by going, well, we're, are we getting better than we were before? And will we be better in the future? Has always been um, a, a, a background soundtrack to the mm. whole, uh, the whole journey is, is like um, things will stuff up. Don't, mm. don't beat yourself up. And so with, um, now I'm just going to turn it around and ask you all the questions. I'll ask we have you. time. We've got, ten, we've got 10 more minutes. So let's, nice. Okay. Let's so, You've obviously, you're an ambitious guy and you've always tried to go bigger and bigger. What, what drives you so fiercely to go bigger? Is it, is it that wanting always to be better than before and playing the game of just seeing how much you can achieve or what, what, why do you want to go so big? I'm going to, I'm going to answer it this way, I think. So let's talk, let's think about the, um, some of your clients who have got to 250,000 or 500,000, they go, Mm -hmm. you know, that's enough. Um, I feel comfortable with that. Um, in my position, when I think, ask that question, what do our customers want? It's not about me. It's about knowing that they're going to continue to demand more from me um, and from the company to fulfill those orders. So when I think about 
the people that you just talked about who are capping out at 250, I think about the people that they've chosen not to serve. That's very, I won't say upsetting, it's a bit heartbreaking. It's like, so you're onto something here and what you want to do is you want to, you want to eliminate them from the opportunity to further themselves. Isn't that why you kind of got into it in the first place? I think the exact same thing. Yes. So um, it's really, it's really just not part of my makeup. It, it's like, if there are more people that want us to, to serve them, then we will invest more. Like we've invested 26 million in automation um, we're about to expand our facility from 14,000 square meters to 28,000 square meters to take another building down the road. Um, so it's about it, it's about serving your customers. So therefore, it's it's more it's when you say is it going to drive me further? It's more do I feel there's more in it? Do I feel that there's there's still this the market can still um, give me give us more to then for us to then grow. And, and so um, that's how I see that. Um, not so much as I'm very ambitious and it's, I've got to be here. It's, it, um, it may come across that way to people that I work with. It's, it doesn't feel like that. That's the, the, the roaring fire in my engine. Um, uh, um, you know, I'm not thinking um, to, you know, to be first. Mm. Because if have you managed to build it and create a life that you love at the same time? I would say yes. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I'm definitely not as fit as I want to be. And that's more of a personal battle right now. It's like, like I am, I just turned 58 a few days ago. And it's like, happy birthday. Thanks. And so it's like, I know that I use food um, to um, manage stress, but in a way that, you know, I just got to, I just got to get into gear and, and get moving. Other than that, um, yes, and not only for me because I'm in business with my brother, and my bro brother-in-law, uh, the, the three of our families. Not you know my parents, um, they didn't have any expectations on us, but to to build the amount of wealth that we have for the families that had nothing really in the beginning. There was times there we were our parents, our parents was, were giving us a bit of money so we could keep going at one point when the dot-com crash happened before Booktopia. Um, so to have done that. And then of course, to our shareholders and, and to the book industry, um, that, uh, that aspect, I mean, in Australia, when, um, when I talk, when I go overseas and talk to people, they go, Oh, you're so lucky, you know, in Australia, there's, there's an alternative to Amazon um, mm -hmm. because Amazon is very dictatorial um, and they will just be ruthless in their negotiations and the way that they expect to be treated. But in, in Australia, publishers go, huh, yeah, thank, thanks, but we've got Booktopia. You, don't, you can't dictate to us what we're going to do. And it's that, it's that um, aspect of us doing um, for the Australian book industry. I, I don't think anyone else would have done it. I think that's the truth. That, I think that's probably the one thing that having gone the journey, there was not someone else out there that, uh, we took it away from, we, yeah. we thought differently. We saw things differently. Um, we saw opportunities differently. We didn't come from the book industry. So um, I think we, everyone would have just trundled along. Um, but we, we took a path that no one else took. And was that part of the decision on why you decided to list? And we tried to list uh, in 2016. And um, that was like going down to Bondi beach on a midwinter's day with a southerly coming in from the Antarctic because 
Temple and Webster were trading at 15 cents. They're now at $10. Uh, Surf Stitch was about to go off the market. Red Bubble had gone down drastically. Kogan had listed and flatlined. And it really was difficult to list. And then finally, uh, when we were kind of getting close to the end, Amazon announced they were coming to Australia. And everyone said, well, they're going to annihilate you. And in the meantime, we've gone from 80 million to 200 million. Um, yeah, we, we listed because um, it was it's a good way of getting access to capital um, and having the um, a way of uh, um, recognizing the value in the business and being an e-commerce e player with the with the pandemic, we accelerated it. We did an eleven week IPO, which is very very quick, and and so um, we just took advantage of the wave that was riding through, so we could get onto the market and and be part of the whole circus. Um, but ultimately, it hasn't really changed the way that I operate or the way that we do business. Uh, the only difference is we have access to capital and our bank account has a few more zeros in it um, in terms of cash at hand. Um, but, but otherwise, um, it was for us, what, what I liked about it, people, people actually, um, they, they try and scare, not scare you off, but they say, oh, you know, being listed, there's so much more reporting and you got so much more governance, et cetera. It didn't, doesn't really bother me because we, we were very well governed business anyway. Um, what I do like about it being a retailer is that people are talking about you all the time. So um, there's be an article being written. It's just free marketing. Um, all the time people are talking about listed companies and Booktopia is performing better than the ASX 200. Uh, we're the only ones in our in uh, the e-com where the the best performing e-commerce player from a, a share price perspective in the last six months they're talking about you and so that's yeah. that's free marketing so good you're such an inspiration mm, thank you yeah well this is supposed to be about you tina tower the author <laughs> of million dollar micro business how to turn your expertise into a digital online course and i i'm confident that this is just continue going to continue to sell and sell because it's something that I think today, especially after the pandemic, uh, where people are going, well, you know, I can't, can't re really rely on everyone else. This is going to give me more of a, it's not a superannuation fund, but it's kind of like an, another way that I can um, solidify my base. Um, uh, and, and congratulations for, for doing this. Uh, I know that a lot of people are going to be extremely grateful and, and, I wish you so much success and look forward to catching up again and hearing how it all goes. Tina Tower, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.